Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Drag Time with Heclina. It is me, Heclina, and this is uh, the first episode of our third season of Drag Time. Uh, everything is still weird, and I got to admit that I'm super, super lazy because all of my gigs have been canceled. I, I had all this stuff scheduled for January and February, but um, now I'm just chilling out in my house in Palm Springs, living my best life. Things will be picking up for me starting in March. Fingers crossed, this is the final time I'll have to <laughs> cancel everything. Uh, but anyway, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. Hi, everybody. Has has people Have people been sending you money? Um, people send me a couple bucks every time we drop a new episode. It's <laughs> okay. really, it's really sweet. We have some regulars. They know who they are. Thanks for oh, the coffee. I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, um, if you, uh, love us, please show it. Tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Heclina. Follow our Facebook page, Drag Time with Heclina, or add us on TikTok, uh, to keep up with the show. Now, uh, about our very special guest today, somebody I know quite well. Uh, she's an artist, performer, a choreographer, and writer, which we're going to talk a lot about that today. You might know her as the first cis woman to win a major drag queen pageant. She's performed at Joe's Pub, New Museum, Stonewall, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, Counterpulse, and of course, Tranny Shack. Justin Vivian Bond calls her the Jane Goodall of drag. She's been honored with residences at Headland Center for the Arts, Tanz House Zurich, and Atlantic Center for the Arts. She's held an Irvine Fellowship and residency at the De Young Museum. She has a new book, which we've um, heard literally will not stay on the shelves at City Lights Books. It is called Faux Queen, A Life in Drag by Monique Jenkinson. But I know her better as Phonique. Hi, Phonique. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm really doing well. It's so good to be here with you. Where are you? I am in San Francisco. Oh, well, we want to talk a lot about your amazing book, and we'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, well, I guess when we talk about your book, we can um, go further into this. But tell us about your personal history a little bit with drag. Now, I read, I, I did read your book, so I know who I know who some of your early inspirations were. Um, uh, well, I know we have some of the same touchstones, and um, and I know that you're super into boys in makeup. And, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, I well, as you know, I, I tend to go for the little, the more uh, rough trade boys, but I'm I'm a big fan of the music, obviously. But tell us about some of your early inspirations. Oh my gosh! Well, um, yes, early inspirations. I mean, really, one of the earliest inspirations was you know playing dress up as a child, mm -hmm. and then. Ballet, which I realized mm -hmm. later that ballet is drag. <laughs> you know, the yeah. first time I put on false eyelashes, I think I was, um, I don't know, 15, and I was going to do the Nutcracker. And I remember going, oh, this is this is really what my face is supposed to look like. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then later, you know, I folded ballet into performances at Tranny Shack and, um, and Phonique, you know, in conceiving the character of Phonique, she's a ballerina. So I, I often, you know, brought in ballet into drag, but those are sort of some of the earliest influences. And then of course, some of our, our, yes, our well, common yeah, touchstones mean, of like new wave 
heroines yes. like Susie well, Sue. And I was just listening to you talking um, about Nina Hagen, who was like an early, you know, when I was in high school, someone I loved and, um, uh-huh. you know, the someone who the boys I loved, loved. And um, yeah, Bowie, but of the, course. But the boys you crushed on were um, somebody I, ne- I never really got into too much, David Sylvian. Yes. Um, and then, of course, Duran Duran. And so you were definitely into the... Uh, the makeup boy, the men in makeup. I was, I was, mm-hmm. I have, yes. I mean, inspired by men, you know, I remember Tranny Shack doing a night called Men in Makeup. It was like, oh, these are the boys I loved. All the, and so <laughs> I have a chapter in my book called English Boys in Eyeliner. And <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I did. I have to admit, like, I, I, I wanted to get the information, uh, before this podcast. So I read the book very quickly. Of course, I, I skimmed over the parts in your childhood with your mom, but I did catch enough of that Yay. Uh, to, you know, I always thought, I, I don't know. I always had this idea in my head that your mom was strict and, and didn't let you, but it, it seems like she was very open about you doing whatever you wanted in a way. Yeah, not whatever I wanted, but I mean, she was definitely. Um, she was nurturing, is she what was I'm trying totally to say. Totally nurturing, absolutely mm-hmm. nurturing of creativity, mm-hmm. and you know, I was a pretty like uptight, prudish girl who. <laughs> <laughs> she really was very good. I was a very good mm-hmm. girl, so I mean, mm-hmm. I look back at pictures of myself, and I was like, I could have gotten into so much trouble, but um, I didn't. So I was a pretty easy. I think I was a pretty easy kid. I think. My my parents got off pretty easy, but I did love to wear a costume to school. Um, right. So my mom was a little bit strict about like makeup. You know, I got to wear lots of makeup on Halloween when I dressed as Boy George when I was twelve, but um, every day not so much. But you know, that yes. later more and more I was allowed. But yeah, so uh-huh. that kind of thing. My mother didn't want me, you know, looking cheap and tawdry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so interesting reading your memories because you know I have a pretty clear memory of of many things, but uh, like I do not remember. I, I remember you coming to Tranny Shack dressed up in a bunch of wire to do Gary Newman's I Dream of Wires, but I don't remember switching the theme to cheese. Like, I, oh. I don't, I was like, what? I don't remember this. You know, like you showed I, up and it was supposed to be, <laughs> what is that? Tell me about that memory. It was supposed to be Cosmic Dream was the theme. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I found this song and it was the perfect, you know, talked about dream. I dream of wires and it's this kind of robot, you know, mm-hmm. robot reminiscing kind of thing in this song by Gary Newman. And then I show up and everyone is, it's like something is amiss. <laughs> something is amiss none of no one looks like they're dressed space age mm-hmm. you know i'm feeling like a you know, one of these things does not belong and then you're like oh i changed the theme to cheese the theme changed to cheese <laughs> okay why would i ever have a night called theme theme to about cheese about that's cheese. so weird i think what happened was arturo was supposed to have hosted um cosmic dream and then he pulled out and then someone else hosted and I can't remember who it was it was because you always had co-hosts who would pick the night so I don't think you ever would have picked cheese I think it was the I think it was the last minute co-hostess and I can't remember it might have been lady Sergio 
Oh, well, Change anyway, the yeah, it's the theme. So as a, as a backstory for listeners who never experienced Tranny Shack, this was a time in uh, San Francisco nightlife when you could have a successful packed night on a Tuesday and, and you didn't have to bring in RuPaul girls. People would just show up for the weirdest themes and <laughs> um, cheese or avant-garde or a tribute to Nico or anything, whatever, like, you know what I mean? So uh, I, that story was interesting oh. to me. Um, yeah. So you, you, you speaking about Berlay, uh, ballet, Berlay, speaking about ballet, you have, you, you have a history in performance. You were a double major in dance and literature. So you came into this uh, nightlife world perfect, it, it, perfectly for tranny check, which was very art damaged. Totally. And you, uh, you use that term in the book, actually art damage, which I love. I'm so glad you love it. I mean, you really mm -hmm. inspired it. You're the first, like I say in the book, you're the first person who I heard use the word art damaged. And, and it's just like, oh, that, that is what I do. That's perfect. And this idea mm -hmm. of art and damage being, you know, in the same sentence or the same concept that something, you know, that, that, that the damage part kind of um clobbers the art part with a nice like humorous little you know um inflatable baseball bat <laughs> yes one of the most amazing things is that you know life to life and nightlife for me and i hate to be this kind of you know person who's nightlife to me now is so predictable and um you came into that world perfectly. You know, this was this was a bunch of queens who were able to work out their issues. It seems like and work out whatever, really work out whatever they wanted to on that stage. It was kind of like a fertile ground to do whatever. And I forget that. You know, like I I've always been kind of like moving forward. I don't really dwell too much on the past. And I sometimes I look at pictures from Tranny Shack or or, or I read stuff like your memories of it, and I'm like, yeah, this really was a different time where. Um, now I feel like nightlife is, is very tame and predictable, but um, you really didn't know what to expect. Well, what I'm trying to say is this was a time before cell phones and before the internet, yeah. before, you know, like you, you, you didn't know exactly what you were, there was some mystery. Left, you, uh, which, there was which, always, you know, yeah, you really, mm -hmm. I mean, that was what was amazing is you never knew what was going to happen at the yeah. shack and it could be right, fierce, right. fierce, fierce drag and it could be tragic and flawed and still, you know, incredibly <laughs> entertaining and amazing <laughs> and like, and then everything in between. And so you just yes. didn't, yeah, you didn't know. And there were, you know, and, and there were, there were themes, I mean, in remembering the shack, you know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about like all of the themes. And of course there's so many themes that we could never do today. And of course, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to, to my, my chapter that I <laughs> called that's problematic, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it's, it's so weird. Uh, you know, your, your book was written with very much a, you, you have the San Francisco filter or mentality of like, Oh my God, you know, like I, I, the reason why San Francisco is so tiresome for me now is you're walking on eggshells all the time. And so uh, I, I'll just say it was really liberating just now to go to the South mm. where, where they don't have any of that. You know what I mean? Which, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but it's refreshing to not always be clobbered over the head with that. Right. So yes, <laughs> it is it like, you know, Lady Sergio has, uh, has adopted, two girls who, um, you know, he, he would never want to be reminded of 
the stuff he did on that stage. Oh you know gosh. what I mean? We've all grown up a little bit. I know. Totally. I, I mean, it, it, this brings up so much and, and you, you're, you know, you're talking about my, the filter that I'm writing through. It's interesting. I tried to kind of strike a balance between, mm-hmm. you know, stating what I know to be the stuff we're kind of working through culturally with language mm-hmm. and knowing that language needs to change, but also trying to express what we were doing then. And right. that, you know, you have to kind of look at it with the complication and you have to look at it with, um, with context. And, and I don't know, I, I really, it was incredibly, all of the, the play with language mm-hmm. was, was so, and with identity was so powerful. And the irreverence to me was so, was so powerful and so important. So I hope that the, you know, yeah, my hope for the book is that people, you know, of course I know I'm not going to please everyone, but I hope that, ev- I hope that people come away with a good kind of picture of what we were, of what we were doing and how, um, how kind of deep it was. I mean, it, it's funny because I talk about, you know, some of the themes, some of the crazy names of themes, but also just like, um, there was one. And, and again, we're going to, we can't get away from this. We, we, we got to use the T word, but um, one of the themes I was giggling about to myself that Fatima did was Muppets, Fraggles and Trannies. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes no it is yeah it it is really good and it's a shame that you even have to uh you know dissect it and explain it right but um but it was a different slice in time yeah and uh and then that it was (laughs) what do you uh i mean i i there's so many things I want to cover, which we don't have time for, but tell me a little bit about your relationship with Fatima. Oh, well, I mean, I, I didn't know Fatima deeply, but um, I mm-hmm. felt like I knew her deeply as a performer. You know, there are ways that you get to know people. Like, you might not hang out, but just when you watch them on stage a lot and when you're backstage a lot, I just felt a kind of artistic kinship you know, she really, really affected me deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you wouldn't on the surface look at us and go like, oh, they're really similar as performers in any way. Um, I just, she just was the combination, her, the way her brain must have worked was really fascinating to me. And just the stuff she came up with. And she did come, she, I, um, she did my makeup once, which was really fun. I thought she was such a great makeup artist. And I was, and you know, at, at a certain point when I was Miss Tranny Shack, I was like, oh, I want all these great, you know, makeup artists, queens to do my face sometime and just kind of learn from them. So that was really, right. that was really fun. Um, yeah. I mean, Fatima is, I um, mean, you know, as, as I've gotten older, people around us are starting to kind of pass away. Um, and uh, Fatima is a good example to me of somebody who, really was not meant for the world in a way like she she really should have been somewhere and on a, uh, in a little kind of contained retreat area where she could just do her art and live and you know what i mean yes uh because yes. bohemia bohemia really does not age well and you either you either fall through the cracks and become like a Bridget Brat and Fatima or somebody like that, or you're strong and you move forward and i've seen people right. fall, fall through those cracks and and part of my guilt around Fatima is I guess I was always moving forward and I, I felt like I had I was always like I gotta be strong if you're not strong enough to keep up with me then you just fall by the wayside but now I wish I had um 
I don't know, reached out to her a little bit more, but I just lost touch with her. And then, then I found out, you know, well, we all know what happened. I mean, I think sometimes people isolate themselves, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I mean, in struggles, it's, it's hard. We've seen a lot of, I think, you know, we've all seen a lot of, a lot of hard stuff. And I, I think, I think sometimes people isolate themselves or push people away and, um, you know, I think it's natural to feel guilty. And then at the same time, you know, when something horrible happens and then at the same time, it's like, we, you do have to, um, have boundaries and, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Very, you're very wise, Phonique. Oh, Uh, I try. I I try. (laughs) I feel like I'm going all over the place. Let me, let me get focused back onto the early days. So, um, you were kind of the next. So when Trendy Shack first started, uh, I I don't want to really toot my own horn, but I didn't really, uh, care what your gender was or anything. All that mattered was what you did on stage. And if you sucked, you sucked. Right. And if you were good, and if you were good, you were good. And so Animatronic was like the first one who I don't think even think we had a, a term back then. It was just she was just a drag queen performing with the other drag queens. And then um but you came in and you were this is where I'm going to focus now and mm-hmm. leading into the leading into the book discussion. Uh for those who do, do not know, you were the uh first cis woman to win uh, the title of Miss Trannyshack, which I'm going to put it into context again for people who maybe weren't there, had become this huge thing. Um, it, it started off as a kind of a parody of a beauty pageant, and then it became this massive drag competition. Huge, massive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you were the first one to win, and um, and I do recall that there was a lot of those, you know, when people, if, if people win, they're fine. But if they lose, they go, well, that's not dragged, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I had to, I remember I went on a panel uh, on the radio defending it and people like had a lettuce and people were kind of saying, well, you know, they were arguing with me about it. Right. So it was kind of a big deal at the time. Do you want to talk about that? Right. I, I mean, I do. It's so interesting. Well, first, you know, I, I think you should toot your own horn about mm-hmm. creating this space where um, so many different kinds of people and so many different kinds of drag felt welcome. Um, and it's, you know, along those lines of just not knowing what would happen, not knowing what to expect. But also, you know, there could be Judy and Barbara. There was no disdain for classic drag. But um, um, yeah, I mean, it was so I was such a fan, too, before I ever participated in the pageant. And then realizing, you know, I sort of got I, I wasn't really convinced that I should participate in the pageant and then felt like, you know, when I realized that I could potentially be performing for a thousand people and I might never again get to perform for a thousand people. It was like, Oh yeah, I should just do this. Cause I may never have this experience again. And then it was just such a shock to win. Um, and I felt like really overwhelming love from the audience and from the immediate community. And I think that if I feel really lucky that the inter that social media wasn't really such a thing yet because Mm -hmm. I think if social media had been a thing I would have gotten haters you know but I think that if I had haters they weren't really showing up no one was coming out of the woodwork to tell me 
that they thought I was dubious. You know, I more right. had people coming up to me later and saying, oh, I was, you know, I thought you, you know, I had my doubts, but now that I've seen you perform, I totally get it. You know, I had more people saying that to me and then maybe people being a little like sh shady and standoffish. You know, there were a couple moments where I said, oh, I'm, I'm Miss Tranny Shack and someone kind of turned on their heels, but those weren't people from our community. Right. You know, so yeah, there was just like one person in one place where I think maybe they were more of like the, you know, that era of the royal court system. Yes. Uh -huh. You know, but nobody, I didn't really hear it from anyone. So it's so funny whenever you say like it was so controversial, I'm like, yeah, yes. And I don't remember the controversy being such a thing. I will say that um, it was just controversial to, to maybe the people who didn't win, you know, oh, like, yeah. They, yeah. And, um, and also, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, and maybe a couple other, but yes, especially, but like, and, um, oh, who so else? When, when, who else? Uh, <laughs> I think there was just a general murmur, you know, from other, from, but I, I don't remember, I don't even remember who else was yeah. in the pageant besides you and, but like, um, so that's, it was so long ago, 2003. I mean, that's a lot a lot of water under the bridge since then. You have a mind like a steel trap though. <laughs> <laughs> um, what Mark has left out in these notes is glory wholesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, you, you talk a lot about in the book about trying to get your name, form your name. Let's talk about yes, that. Yes. Yes. Well, glory wholesome was my first drag name. And I do talk about, her that mm -hmm. you know everyone I, I think a lot of queens have a first drag name that they don't keep right <laughs> and it's usually sort of thrown you know thrown on at the last minute when you find oh I'm gonna do this drag thing and maybe you think you'll do it once or twice and so you right, kind of right. toss off a drag name and mm -hmm. um so Glory Wholesome, yeah, kind of <laughs> self-explanatory. I mean, I felt like somehow it did speak to, you know, knowing just a l enough about gay culture to, like, you know, make a reference to, like, a filthy thing, but then also mm -hmm. being wholesome, being, like, a prudish, wholesome, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. straight-laced yes. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was always the, uh, the weird clash with you uh of the uh what do you call it Juxtap the juxtaposition of this fierce performer on stage who you know was really channeling things and working things out and then you were always kind of like this prim and proper girl <laughs> so um you know you, you had all these all these people around you like rimming and getting and doing cocaine and going crazy mm. and whatever and then you're always kind of like well, yeah. What do you think about that? Like you were this prim and proper girl around all these kind of wild faggots. Oh, uh, I, I hope I'm not that. I hope people don't think of me as that prim and proper. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't, you know, going wild at the clubs. I think, mm -hmm. you know, I'm totally, um, I'm not making judgments about anything ever. I mean, I no, can, no, no. you know, but like, yeah, I was kind of there to work. <laughs> And I think being a ballet, you know, coming from ballet and theater too, like I've just never, I'm also a total lightweight as you know, but like I totally can't, I can't like drink a shot and, or smoke 
weed and then get on stage. Like I can't, I've never been able to, performing has never been something I can do, you know, in a mind altered state. So I'm always, you know, so when I came to the club, it was like, I was there to have fun, but I was there to, to work kind of. So, and, and, and for me, you know, warming up, I would have to really warm up and like practice my lip sync and stretch my body and all of that stuff backstage. So I wasn't like doing lines backstage. (laughs) <laughs> that tiny backstage. Oh yeah. my god, that tiny backstage. Uh, so, also, what I really got from your um, from your book was, you know, you, your love or not or your affinity really with gay men. Yes, and um, and of course, we don't want to use the dreaded fag hag term, but in my in my uh, in my history, I've never. Th- there's not really a good term. I don't like the term fruit fly either, but it's, it's just kind of like uh, I have so many of those women in my life who just feel more comfortable. And, you know, uh, this is an aside. I also am uh, meeting more straight men who also feel much more comfortable around gay men because they don't like the, the toxic uh, what do you call it? Um, toxic masculinity. The, the toxic masculinity and the whole bro culture. Like they, right. they feel like as straight men, they have to act like that and they hate it because it's not natural to them. So I, I, I know a lot of straight men like that too, but I'm getting, I'm, I'm uh, digressing. Tell me about your relationship with gay men. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, the terms fag, hag and fruit fly are, I mean, I think they're of another time and they don't quite encompass the again the depth of of what some friendships can be and um you know I write about this a lot but yeah I'm so glad you picked up on that 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 is so much about what the book is about is my my friendships with gay men since you know sort of from the first story I tell in the introduction which is you know meeting this man when I, I was like eight years old and I met this gay man and I remember him you know in San Francisco and he had you know a mustache and a lavender polo shirt and lavender snakeskin cowboy boots and he sort of squatted down to my level and like complimented me on my dress and was like that's Mm -hmm. fierce honey and just being like I love this person they're so fun and and just I felt like I kind of found my people right away and and then of course you know living in the suburbs you didn't you don't have a sort of division, all the weird kids had to stick together. You didn't have kind of tribes of like, oh, the punk kids, and then there's the goth kids, and then there's the theater kids, and then there's, because I, you know, it was a relatively small uh, place in suburban Colorado where I was growing up. It's like the punk kids, the theater kids, the gay kids are all kind of together in one group of weirdos, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also the affinity you know, I just, and I can't explain my affinity for gay men, but it was just the, the, you know, the sensibility. And then just also in a way, I feel like in a way, Mitzi, my mom, like raised me with a sort of classic gay, you know, old school gay sensibility. And so I've always had those touchstones culturally, like, oh, but I know that Betty Davis quote, you know, because I learned it from, you know, watching movies with my mom and, you know, that kind right. of thing. So, so yeah, it was just a sort of natural thing. And then I think I kind of recognized, you know, there's something about especially, you know, some women and their relationships to, to their bodies and culture and, you know, the ways in which I think gay men and women can relate to each other in, in that way of trying to kind of 
please people and not measuring up and 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 that and those kinds and of being things perfect yeah, those, yeah exactly those kinds of things that weigh on your your consciousness that you can't necessarily name when you're a teenager but you just know you know you're having some shared struggle well two things about that that i that i that i want to mention is one thing is that yes uh if, if anybody out there has read The Velvet Rage, which I'm sure we all have, have. you know, you have this 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 thing of like the, the gay men, and I'm generalizing here, they, they, they grow up and they have to be perfect because they feel so inadequate. So there was a little bit of that uh, for me. And, and maybe you also recognize that in a lot of, you know people that are just moving forward and trying to be perfect. And then absolutely a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours actually told me to read the velvet rage at one point. Mm -hmm. And I, I was so glad (laughs) that I did. I, I, there was a lot of (laughs) self-recognition in that book for me. And the other thing I want to mention is I love the, you talk in your book about how you came to the realization that you didn't like all gay men and vice versa. <laughs> uh, you, that you told that horrible story about your bosses. At, and I remember, cause I worked at uh, patio cafe and I remember those little booths in the front, yeah. those little, the, these little cubicles and stuff. And it was so funny how these gay men just were not having you. And, no. um, and, and they were really just exploiting you. And I really think that what you, what you mean when you say you like gay men, is you, you like artistic weirdo gay men which is which is what i've always i I spent my life trying to fit in to the gay world and and i was so disappointed when i came out and i didn't fit into any of it i none of it spoke to me the queerest folk circuit party shit you know right so right with you as a ramones loving gay i mean i love your you know your conversation um Mm -hmm. with pc about that and yeah yeah i i uh Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just an important lesson to, to know, you know, you have cultural affinities and then you're not, you're just not going to get along with everyone and everyone's not going to get along with you. Like it's a, it's a really important life lesson, <laughs> but, yes. but yes, I learned that there. It's so funny. I had no idea you worked at the patio. We might've like, cro- you know, passed like ships on the night at that point. That was my first job when I moved to San Francisco, but it really got in the way of my partying. So, right. um, so I quit and I hated, I just hated the atmosphere there. And, um, and then years later, I think there was Rolo had a Rolo, the clothing store had a booth in there. So I worked in one of those cubicles oh for a brief and, and, and I was stuck, like you said in your book, like for hours on end without like a bathroom Ugh. break and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. No, that just, boss was awful. <laughs> I love that story of you. Like I'm, I, I love gay men and I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. But you're like holding in your pee for eight hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like bitterly, bitterly folding origami cranes. <laughs> <laughs> they also had this horrible little dog who they would leave mm-hmm. in the store with me sometimes. And it mm-hmm. would just whine the whole time time and then queens would walk in and be like what an adorable little dog and i would be like rolling Uh, my eyes (laughs) i think you learned the hard i think you learned the hard way what i've always known is that probably 80 percent of straight people and gay people 
are just tired. Everyone, yeah. I've always yeah. said, I know, there have been times when people have been like, Heckleen is this, or Heckleen is that, or she's a misogynist. I'm like, Heckleen is a misanthrope. <laughs> she yes, is exactly. everyone equally. <laughs> <laughs> and I love her for it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I don't discriminate. I hate, I hate everybody. I hate about 80% of everybody. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, tell us more about the book. Tell us about oh. what inspired you to write it. Tell, tell us tell us how it came into being. Thanks. Tell us all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sort of, it came into being in sort of two, like in sort of from an, from two different directions in a way. So it was like, um, you know, there were a few people in my life. I had been, you know, making shows and, and doing these dual, had these kind of dual paths of like making super arty, weird, crazy dance work and then making, you know, kind of drag cabaret stuff that started with tranny shack. And a lot of times they would interweave and sort of those paths would cross. And, um, someone I was working with in a sort of admin capacity and she was helping me kind of write grants and things like that. She was like, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I was like, huh, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book. Like that's kind of would be intriguing. I don't know. And, you know, I, I, definitely had this background and I studied writing in college and thought like, Oh, if dance, you know, if, if, if one day, whatever, when I stopped dancing, maybe I'll turn back to writing. And, um, but that day just kind of kept getting further and further away. And then, and then finally, you know, she was like, you should pitch something to this. I know this person with this small, you know, with this imprint. And so I did. And then, and then, so that was, it was coming from one direction. And then sort of the, what I realized is the genesis of it is that I had made these, when I started making one woman shows, the first one being faux real, um, you know, I had the basis of, of the show were all of these numbers that I'd done that many of them I'd done at, at the shack. And then I realized I, you know, but I had this kind of choreographic problem, which was that I wanted to do a solo show, but I wanted to have lots and lots of costume changes and kind of ways to keep the audience occupied and keep it interesting. And so I realized, oh, I have to be my own MC, basically. And how to do that would be to, you know, to tell stories while I'm changing my costumes. And so a couple things happened. I started doing this thing where I, I change costume on stage, sometimes behind something, sometimes right in front of the audience with like kind of transformation costumes. Um, and then I, I started telling stories and then a lot of the stories became these monologues that then some of them became chapters of the book, which is why the book, I call the book and a book of essays in drag as a memoir, as a memoir, because it's not sort of starting from the beginning and telling a linear narrative necessarily. I've tried to string it together in that way, but it's organized in a little more of a, a thematic way, which is how these, these monologues came about. It's more sort of, let's talk about this theme or let's talk about that theme. You know, many of them kind of about, about how what I do is drag or about, or about some aspect of drag. So that's sort of how it came about. So in a way, like the, the, the seeds of the chapters were these monologues that I was making up in order to keep the audience occupied <laughs> while I changed right, right. clothes. <sighs> I, I thought it was very well written. And so I, I'm just going to ask you, did anybody ghost write it for you or did you write it all yourself? <laughs> no, there was absolutely no ghost writing. I thought it was really well written and I did love, I did love the fact that it was not linear. It went back and forth. And, um, and I will say that uh, I have, I was approached 
in the middle of the pandemic about writing a book, but it's I've I've had a, such a hard time getting started. Yeah. And um and so yeah, it it tell me about the focus it took, you know, cuz because I know more than anybody is the focus it, that, you, that it needs. Yeah, you know? it took a lot of focus. And when I proposed it and it was accepted and I proposed it and it was accepted and I worked on it and that, you know, we met and they asked me for, you know, the first couple chapters. And so those were kind of fun and, you know, a little nerve wracking, but fun. And then I wrote a table of contents and then, you know, kind of what I thought I might write about. So just I proposed the table of contents and then that got proposed and accepted. And um, then I sort of set to work and that was when, and I had some preliminary meetings about it because I wasn't sure if it was going to be a book of essays or a memoir. And the person at this it, this first publisher said, like, you know, it should be a memoir, like, that's easier to sell. I was like, okay, great. And then that was where the trouble, where it got really hard was like, oh, my God, now I have to write about things I didn't think I was going to write about, you know, I could have just written a bunch of essays about drag. But when it's a memoir, it's like, okay, we're going to delve in and get a little bit into your, you know, I kept, I tried to keep it drag focused, you know, even right, with right, the right. childhood stuff. But, you know, I don't have to tell every fucking story about my childhood. It's just like, let's keep it focused on, on things that pertain to drag. But even still, it felt like I had to get a little deeper, you know, and a little mm -hmm. delve into some things I didn't think I would write about. And so that was hard. And just thinking about, you know, thinking about the past can be can be a challenge and then just the focus yeah the focus is a huge challenge and 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 really really hard so I tried to break it up into small pieces and um you know have have small writing sessions I mean some days when it was really bad it's like okay set a timer for 25 minutes you just have to sit there for 25 minutes and then you know, yeah. you get to go do whatever you need to do, which for me, you know, as you know, it was like, I'd rather some days I would rather like clean the toilet and did, or like I would go organize, <laughs> I'd like organize my, my, um, my fridge, um, you know, right, and, right, and this right, process yeah. did send me back to therapy for sure. And that mm. was helpful too. Um, <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's because you did focus on drag, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out an, uh, some names to oh, you. Yeah. And you have one minute to talk about each name, and then I'm going to move on to the next name. Oh, my God. I hope it's nobody from RuPaul's Drag Race. Cause... It's not. Okay, okay good. <laughs> Peaches Christ. <gasps> She's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Canceled. Yes. Canceled. I love Peaches Christ. She, you know, you, I feel like you, Peaches Christ, and well, well, I'm, there's probably other people we're going to be talking about, but like, it's really, really hardworking and like magnanimous. Um, also, like such a, you know, a straight faced, hilarious re reader. I mean, mm. yeah, a, a hilarious. One of the funniest things she said to me, I was in Italy and I was fa I was on Facebook a lot. Um, it was in 2013 and I was alone in Italy for about like three and a half, four weeks. And I was, I was, I was, fa I was posting about like what I had eaten and then going out for gelato twice that day or mm -hmm. something. And Peaches just writes, please get fat phonique. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I that she wants every, she, she, she wants every to be, she wants us all to be as fat as her. Oh my God. I just, I love how she can read it in such a, like a lovingly mean way. Yes. Okay. Uh, Putanesca. Putanesca. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I've she is like the um, 
I, I would have said the Mia Farrow of drag, but like that's sort of an outdated reference. So like the Angelina Jolie of drag, she like, you know, has to adopt all of the, um, all the kids, all the drag children, you know, she, yes. she really, um, she, I love Putinesca. I love Putin. she, she is yes. a, a nut. She's a nut and a half, but she will, she will like give you the shirt off her back and make it into an, a turban and yes. pin a flower on it. And then, and then get mad. I, yeah. I, I will say she's <laughs> always been some, she's always been that person who was so giving and adopting of people around her, which I, of course, Never, I, I was never going to be like, no, I'm not going to be your drag mother. Fuck off. Totally. But Puta, Puta, like, would take them all, all of the, um, what do you call it, the misfit toys. She really you know? did. She's, yeah, mm-hmm. she, no, she's amazing. I adore, I adore her and, yeah, miss her. Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay. Vincentos. Vincentos, the ghoul, my ghoul friend, the macabre, <laughs> the macabre snob. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, and I think that a lot of times the ones who look scary um, on the surface, you know, who kind of try and project some scariness are, are always the sort of the tender hearted ones. You know, I, right. I just she really is way more tender hearted than you would ever guess. And she's also a handful. And she's also, um, you know, we've had moments of, of uh, me being at, of her working my last gay nerve. But I love that queen. Juanita Moore. Juanita Moore. Well, I was going to say, I feel like Peaches, Juanita, and Heclina are the three, you know, hardest working queens in San Francisco. Juanita Moore is a, I just, you know, I owe so much to Juanita Moore. She was the first one who I, that's kind of how I got into the the drag scene is I, I, how I, how I got in sort of with the, the house of Moore was being dancing back up with Juanita and, you know, wearing couture by Mr. David dancing back up for Juanita. Um, and she's, she's a classy broad. I adore Juanita. Glamour more. Mm. My fairy drag goddess mother. Glamour more. Mm-hmm. I mean, she often gets introduced as the reason, the reason I'm here, the reason you might be here. And she is right. the reason so many of us are here. And, um, she just, she's a shapeshifter. She's a, uh, she's a will of the wisp. She is. <laughs> she's a flippity gibbet. She's gibbet. a gibbet, a clown. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and all those things and more. And mm-hmm. a deep, deep, just at the core performing artist. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, uh, we have uh, just about reached the end of the podcast, so I'm going to ask you the most important question of all, which is, what is your favorite memory of Heclina? Oh, I think I have a feeling you know what I'm going to say. Yes. This is, oh, my gosh. Well, I've told the story, but it is my favorite memory of Heclina. Um, well, P.S., how, how, how do you love that? Um, quote from Justin Vivian Bond that I'm the Jane Goodall of drag. <laughs> uh, remind book. me who Jane Goodall is again. She's remind the me one who that is she again. works with primates. She did all the primate oh. research. But then that I reminded thought that was me. the one. That was the one from that. Who was the one from Gorillas in the Mist? I that can't was remember her different. name. But then that reminded me. Okay. 
of that because of my favorite, my second favorite Lady Bunny joke. What do you call Heclina, her mother and her grandmother in a hot tub? (laughs) (laughs) Gorillas in the mist. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, I will. I'm going to uh, let you know that her jokes have not, I can just testify to this, her jokes have not uh, changed no. uh, since then. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> but no, my favorite Heclina, my favorite, favorite Heclina um, memory is when we were in Iceland and it, you know, it had been a, it had been, it had been an eventful journey in Iceland. We were, but we were performing at Gay Pride, which was incredible. And, you know, screaming fans, screaming girls and families and like children watching, coming out to see drag queens, which was Mm -hmm. so, so great and fun and also weird. And we were all waiting in line um, to go and pee somewhere, you know, outside, like, like in this wine bar or something after the show. And this little girl comes up to all of us lined up and it's me and Putaneska and Kennedy and you. And she comes up, she's about seven years old with her little five-year-old brother in tow. And she comes up to me, she's in her little Icelandic accent. Are you a boy or a girl? And I was like, I... I'm a girl. She's like, do you want to be a boy? I'm like, no, not particularly. Do you want to be a girl? You know, I'm like, yes, yes. And then she goes down the line, you know, everybody, are you a boy or a girl to Putanesca? And then to Kennedy, are you a boy or a girl? And then she gets to Heclina and looks her to her and says, you are a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I don't remember Kennedy and Puta being there. I remember it just being you and me. Yeah, no, we were all there. Oh, wow. Oh, God. My favorite memory of that trip was oh. uh, going driving to the Blue Lagoon, and Kennedy looks out the window, and she goes, what ocean is that? And um, oh. I was so – do you remember that? I was, And then my, my friend Donnie, who was driving us, just kind of looked at Kennedy like, what? Like she just flown over it for eight hours, you know? It's this little island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I anyway. Don't remember, I don't remember that. I don't remember yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I still remember that. Uh, oh. Okay, so where can we find this book? You can find this book. Well, apparently it might be on back order, but it, it is um, – it, it, its official release date is Tuesday, the 25th. So I know that some stores have it, and they're waiting to put it out until its official release date. So you should be able to find it at Fabulosa. I know that on Tuesday. And then City Lights may still have some copies. You can order it from your favorite outlets. And, of course, going to your local bookstore and asking for it and ordering it gets the word out, which is great. So it should be in stores in, in San Francisco and beyond and um and you can you know order it online and it's called faux queen a life in drag and you're having a, a release party at oasis I right i am i am we're having the first of of what i hope to be many events um but the 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 kickoff and the the official release party is at oasis um co-presented by city lights bookstore and publishers and that will be on february 19th and it's an it's at 6 6 p.m so nice little happy hour book signing performance um i'll do a little bit of reading and a little bit there's going to be a little bit of drag so that should be really fun hopefully we can gather safely 
Yes. Well, yeah, hopefully, um, Amy, everything's going to be starting up for me. And uh, anyway, if you want to find Phonique, you can find her at phonique.net. So phonique.net, like fishnets. And then on Instagram, I'm Monique Phonique. And I'm technically on Facebook, but it's not a great place to find me. So, um, okay. Yeah. Find her on Instagram at Monique Phonique. Uh, go to phonique.net. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hectlean. I see how easy I made that for people. Um, if you love us, please show it. Tell anybody you can about the Drag Time with Hectlena podcast. You can give us a tip, which helps Mark pay for all the. I don't know what he does that he needs. But what, anyway, just find Drag Time on Venmo or Cash App. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. And thank you, Mark. And thank you, Phony. Thank you, Hecalina. This has been so fun. I love talking to you. Yay! Yay!